Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. This morning, I want to lead us on an exploration of the subject of justice. I'm going to take as a title, Let Justice Roll Down. And we're going to start in the Old Testament in the book of Amos, Amos chapter 5, where Amos is speaking to Israel and telling Israel that God is not so happy with their worship. Actually, the language here is, is pretty strong. Through the prophet Amos, God is saying to Israel, I hate your worship, which is exactly the encouraging word you want to hear this morning when you're gathered in worship. Israel had a ritual of worship which would include the giving of, of offerings. There would be a blood sacrifice as a part of worship. And there was also singing like Christians, when we worship God, they're singing. And so I'm just going to warn you that, that as we jump into Amos, right off the bat, God is none pleased with Israel because while they were worshiping him and doing all the rituals right, they were practicing injustice. So here's God talking about how much he hates worship. This is where we're starting in Amos chapter 5, verse 21. I hate, I despise your festivals And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fattened animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but... Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let justice roll down like rivers. Worship is important. Indeed, worship is essential in following Jesus Here at Word of Life, we're all about worship and justice and community. And worship comes first first because it is primary. It is essential. That which we worship shapes and forms the kind of people we become. Worship is important. But if the praises are going up, we should also expect the justice to roll down. So we believe God is forming us into people of worship, justice, and community. Yes, the praises should go up, but God here says through the prophet Amos that if it's only the worship going up and you're neglecting the justice going down, there's a problem. Indeed, God says, I take no delight. I don't even want to listen to your singing. If only what you are involved in is worship without justice. Let justice roll down. That was a motto through the civil rights movement of the 1960s. It was also the title of the autobiography of Dr. John Perkins, who was a gospel preacher, still preaching the gospel, in fact, in his 80s. He's also a civil rights activist. Dr. Perkins experienced a lot of hardship born and raised in Mississippi 
experienced violence and threats of violence and hardship. And Dr. Perkins, in a, in a very short uh, a film documentary that was done by him just a couple years ago, Dr. Perkins said that love and justice are one and the same. Justice was the motivation of God's redemption. And when Dr. Perkins went to tell his story in the 1970s in the form of a book, he chose as the title, the, the title I'm borrowing for this sermon, Let Justice Roll Down. For me, growing up, I had a very cartoonish vision of what justice was. For the longest time for me, in my mind, when I thought of the that concept, the idea of justice, I thought about the good guys chasing after the bad guys, catching the bad guys and putting the bad guys in jail. And that certainly is a part of justice. But what I came to discover is that justice is a, is a much deeper word than that. Actually, justice is a Bible word. Justice is a word that we can find deeply implanted in the Christian faith. So justice indeed is more than just the good guys catching the bad guys. I don't know if you've ever been to uh, Washington, D.C. and had a chance to visit the National Mall or not, but I did just a couple years ago. My first trip to D.C. and to the National Mall turned out to be, well, it turned out to be much more emotional than I expected. Let me give you a little bit of the backstory so you'll, you'll, you'll understand the experience that I had on the National Mall. I've never seen a battlefield, but my father has. My dad served one tour of Vietnam in 1970, and my dad is a, a, a decorated veteran in that he received a bronze star, multiple purple hearts. And so when I went to the National Mall a couple years ago, I, I knew that, you know, there's all the sights to see, but I really wanted to go visit the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, which is known as The Wall. Uh, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in D.C. is comprised of these very large black granite panels. And it forms kind of a, an L shape. There's a, there's a turn at the wall. And there on the wall are the 58,000 names of mostly men who lost their lives in the Vietnam War. Knowing my dad was a Vietnam vet, going to see the wall was going to be a highlight. I just didn't know how emotional I was going to become. So I left my hotel and hopped on the metro. The metro dropped me off on the National Mall. And I, know I could have downloaded the app, but I'm old school, so I got a map in hand, and I'm, I'm following this map, and I go by the Washington Memorial, and you know, I take the pictures like everyone does, and I find the World War II Memorial, and there were lots of families and kids playing, and uh, then I sort of charted my course towards the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, and I actually went around the reflecting pool, and I got on a little gravel uh, walkway. And even though there were, there were hundreds of people at the National Mall, I mean, there were buses and there were students and there were kids and families, I got on this little gravel, uh, pebble gravel walkway and I was all by myself. And I was walking towards the Vietnam Veterans Memorial and while walking there, I made up my mind. I thought, this is what I'm going to do. I can't read all 58,000 names. I knew I wouldn't have the time to do that. But I thought, I'm going to look at each 
of the black granite panels. I think that there's somewhere around 80 panels. And so as I, as I made my way to the wall, I didn't really know what to expect. I had seen a few pictures online, but I didn't know really what to expect. But it looked like the memorial was built into this big grassy hill. And again, as I said, you, you kind of walk down when, when the wall is on your right, and then it turns to your left, and you kind of descend as you go down. So the, the, if you can imagine this, the, 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 the black granite panels, they start kind of small, and then as you go down, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so when I got to the, the memorial, the, the very first panel I saw was real small. It just had a few names on it. And as I, as I said, I made up my mind, I'm going to look at each of those panels. And as I kept walking down, the panels got larger and larger and larger, and there were more and more and more and more names to the point that when I got to the, 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 the corner, when I had to make the left, that wall extended well over my head, and all around me were the names of those who lost their life. And I thought about my dad and his service, and I thought, Man, my, my dad's name could have been up there. And so as I, as I made the turn, I'm walking and all the, the, the wall is still right there and it's so imposing and it's, and it's all these names that begin to like assault my imagination and I, I had to stop and, and take my glasses off and, and wipe the tears that were forming in my eyes. And I, I tell you, I, I wanted to just run. I, I had enough. I had seen enough. I wanted to run, but I, I had made up my mind. No, I'm going to look at each of the panels, and I'm looking at them. And, and even though I wanted to run, I slowed down my walk to make sure I saw every one of them until I made my way out. I found this little park bench, and I sat down. And I took a deep breath. I'm still wiping tears. And I tell you, I, I prayed. That's the first. I took a deep breath and then I prayed. I prayed and I asked God to teach us the ways of peace. When I was praying, I was, I, was, I was thinking through some of the Psalms and I was asking God, how long until we learn the ways of peace? And I got done and praying. I pulled out my phone and I called my dad. And uh, as you can imagine, that was a really, really good conversation. Talked to my dad and put my phone in my pocket and even though I had prayed and I talked to my dad, I had this deep, gnawing pain in my gut. I mean, to read 58,000 names or to, to see the panels where there are almost 60,000 names, it's, it was overwhelming for me. I didn't know what to do with it. And it felt like this dark cloud of despair was over me. I didn't know what to do. So I'm looking at my map. and I'm going to see the rest of the sites, but I'm... But, the wall and those names and war and all that is just, it's messing with me. So I, I take the map and I, I go up into the Lincoln Memorial and there's Lincoln and it's huge and it's, you know, it's ginormous and I should have been impressed, but I wasn't because I was thinking about the wall. I, I, I was reading the stuff, but it wasn't computing and I just thought, I, I'm going to get out of here. And I turned out of the Lincoln Memorial and I, I, I stumbled on right there outside the memorial, the words, I have a dream. And I looked up and down the stairs in the reflecting pond and I realized that I was standing in the very spot where Dr. Martin Luther King delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. And then I remembered, I thought, 
oh yeah, he, there's a memorial, the MLK memorial. Where is that? So I'm looking at my map. I find it, boom, and I'm going. I'm, I'm going to go see the MLK memorial. So I make my way through the wall. I cross the street. Uh, uh, past. I've, I walked past the uh, uh, Korean War veterans memorial, which is also very haunting, and, and make my way past that and across the street, and I made it to the backside of the MLK memorial, and it looked like they had built this little mini mountain out of granite. It was the mountain of despair. And right in the middle, it looked like a part of that mountain was pushed forward, creating this, this passageway. And so I walked through there, and the piece that had been pushed through that mini mountain, I walked around to the front, and there I saw this giant 80-foot relief of Dr. King, the prophet of peace, the man of peace himself. And as I was looking, I was, I was thinking about how the wall had so disturbed me and haunted me. And as I was looking around the MLK Memorial, I noticed that on the back side, they had quotations from Dr. King. And I thought, well, just like I looked at each of those granite panels at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, I'm also going to read all these quotes from Dr. King. And I cannot explain to you the degree of healing I experienced in doing that. Because I read quotes from Dr. King like this that are, that are etched in stone at his memorial. I read words like this. We shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Then I read this. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I read things like true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. And, and when I got done reading, and that was just three, I read all the quotes there at his memorial. And when I got to the end, I felt like my heart had been washed in fresh, clean water. All that despair began to lift, and there was like a seeds of hope that was planted in my heart. And the word, the, the reoccurring word that spoke to me at the MLK memorial was this word, justice. It became healing for my heart in that very moment. War represents everything wrong and broken in our world. But justice represents the presence of God's healing power in our world. And I can tell you in that moment, I experienced just a bit of emotional healing. Now, again, back to my cartoonish view of justice, I would say that, yes, those that make the laws and enforce the laws are a part of what is justice. But for Christians, for those of us who are following the risen Jesus, justice is so much more than that. I would describe it this way. Justice is God's ongoing work of setting right a world gone wrong. This is what I see throughout scriptures and the history of the church. This is what justice is. Justice is God's ongoing work of setting right a world gone wrong. 
So where people are suffering, whether it's poverty or injustice, the justice of God comes. For those who have been robbed of human dignity and value who are oppressed and broken, it is there that God's justice comes to heal and restore. See, God has not given up on God's plan for this world. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus And Jesus didn't come to affix a big condemned sign on the world. You know, when houses uh, are abandoned for too long and they begin to break down, uh, they'll put a condemned sign on the door and they'll padlock the door. They'll put the sign that says condemned because it's unsuitable for human habitation. Well, Jesus doesn't come to do that with the world. Instead, Jesus comes with a mission to set right a world that has gone wrong. This is the mission of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, it says this, When Jesus became aware of this, that is that the Pharisees were out to get him, he departed. And many crowds followed him. These were predominantly Jewish crowds. Many crowds followed him. And he cured all of them. And he ordered them, these people, these Jewish people that had been healed that were following him, not to make him known. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Now we hear the words of Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish world. This is the mission of Jesus, not only to reveal himself as Israel's king, but as the king and true Lord of the entire world, who comes to rule and reign, yes, but a God who comes in and through Jesus to restore, to redeem, to take broken parts and put them back together. This is the mission for which Jesus came, to set right a world gone wrong. Because God was not going to sit back in God's throne room and simply watch God's good world be ripped into pieces. Instead, he sent Jesus to be a healing presence. And the way we can speak of this mission, the mission of Jesus, we can call that justice. Jesus came with a message of justice, a ministry of justice. This was his mission. And of course, this is rooted in the Old Testament in places like Amos and also in Micah. You know this verse. Many of you are familiar with this verse, Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. If you're the kind of person who comes to church and you want something to do, Pastor Derek, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. If you, this, this is your moment right here. So take note. This is your moment. If you want to know as a follower of Jesus what you're supposed to do, here it is. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. 
The Old Testament prophet Micah spoke these words and Jesus embodied them. This is what it means for us to walk in the ways of Jesus. It means not to flirt with injustice, but to do justice. Not to get involved in acrimony and antagonisms and hate and and fester that whole mess, but instead to, to love kindness Some translations say love mercy, and ultimately we do these things. We do justice, and we love kindness as we walk humbly with our God. So what are we supposed to do? If you don't get anything else out of the message today, just go and learn this, what it means to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. When we do the first of those, there's three, when we do justice We are joining God's mission in and through the church. Many of you know that uh, I had a book that came out last month. And the whole last chapter, chapter 10, in fact, is is justice, the way of reconciliation. And I know some of you don't like to be read to. I I, I know. I'm sorry. But I just, I can't say it any better than this. And it's so succinct. I'm going to read just one paragraph about justice and the mission of God. Jesus came to set free what had been enslaved and mend what had been broken because God empowered Jesus with the Holy Spirit to take the broken parts of our world and put them back together again. Pause for just a second. Jesus comes to save and rescue the world. Jesus comes with a mission of justice to set right a world gone wrong. And if Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is going to make the world right, it starts by making you right. So we have this large, global, grand vision of the mission of God, but understand that that justice starts with you. That God wants to set what is wrong right in you. Jesus wants to heal the brokenness within you. This way of reconciliation is what the prophets of old and Jesus himself mean by justice. When we do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God, we participate with God in the redemption of the world, fulfilling the mission for which Jesus came. Christopher Wright describes God's mission as a work in which we are invited to participate. Here's Chris Wright's words. Mission from the point of view of our human endeavor means the committed participation of God's people in the purposes of God for the redemption of the whole world. The mission is God's. The marvel is that God invites us to join in it. That's the end of the quote from Wright. Then Last of my words, Jesus invites us to join God in God's works of redemption, making right a world gone wrong. When we bear the fruit of Jesus in the world, we strap on our tool belt and tighten up our boots and go to work with God. Justice is the mission of God. It's the task of the church to make disciples fit for this mission, set upon the all-important work of reconciliation. Because this is what Jesus majors on, reconciliation, taking broken things and bringing wholeness out of that. And so this, this is justice, is the mission of God in the world. And it is the task of the church to make disciples fit 
for this mission. This is what we're doing here at Word of Life Church. Again, justice is the mission of God. It's the task of the church. It's the task of our church to make disciples fit for this mission. And justice is not only law enforcement or a kind of activism, though it includes that. But I want you to see this morning that any act of kindness, any act of love in your world, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, in your family, any act of love and kindness is an act of justice. That is, any time you show kindness, in particular to those that are poor, marginalized, oppressed, set to the side, when we show the least of these kindness, we are participating with God in his mission of justice. And we have word of lifers who are doing that right now. We have all sorts of word of lifers who are serving and doing justice on a regular basis. And I don't have time to mention all of them, but I want to mention some of them. Uh, We'll talk about just a few people that are doing these things to highlight what they're doing. Because it's something as a church that we should celebrate. And I'm thinking first of, of Randy and Sean Stanton. Randy, are you back there? Is that you, Randy? Throw your hand up in the air, Randy. Throw your hand up in the air. Okay, Randy's hand's up. Okay. Randy and Sean started uh, Breakout Youth, which is a uh, youth ministry for at-risk teens. And they've been doing this since 2004, 2005. They've been for a long time where they've been serving youth, teenagers that come from difficult situations, from broken homes. And I know that uh, Sandy Samuels has been volunteering in there recently. Sandy, are you in here? Wave at me if you're here, Sandy. Sandy is here. Sandy's been volunteering uh, with Breakout Youth. And she's been using, I know recently, the, the uh, children's uh, curriculum that goes with our Celebrate Recovery. And what they have been doing in serving the least of these is doing justice. I saw Christine Eckhart over here. Christine, you got to raise your hand. Christine uh, has been serving in a youth and children's ministry called We Are the Future. Is that the name? We Are the Future. And it's, it's kids. They invite them to a park at, at 18th and Charles and on Saturday. And it's mostly kids, but youth are invited too. And they, they play games and they, they love on the kids and they, they feed them and they, they teach them character lessons. And uh, I know uh, Sandy has been serving down there. But Christine, when you're down there serving on Saturday mornings, you are doing justice. Just when you are gathering kids and acknowledging them. Right? When you see, one of the reasons, I'm gonna pause for Christine's story just a second. One of the reasons that we make you shake hands, <laughs> we make you introverts shake hands on Sunday morning, is, and I know I'm an introvert, so I'm always like, oh, are we really doing this? All right, I get it. But you know, one of the things that we do, when you simply, and I know it's a very small gesture, but when you extend your hand and you look someone in the eye and you shake their hand and you say, good morning, let me tell you what you're doing. You are acknowledging their presence, that they exist. 
And I'm telling you, in a world that's becoming more digital and more isolated, people are becoming more inward and isolated, and they're set to stay at home with their digital device in front of them, and they continue to languish in depression and isolation because they don't have that. They need another human being to look them in the face and say, I see you. You exist. Christine, when you're serving, when you're serving kids on Saturday morning, that's what you're doing. When you're playing games and feeding them, you're saying, I see you. And in doing that, you're communicating the love of God to them. This is justice. This is what we're doing. So many of you have been serving, I know, in, um, at the, uh, I wrote it down. because I, I knew I wouldn't remember. At the Open Door Food Kitchen. Uh, we send volunteers once or twice a month to Open Door Food Kitchen, and they serve hot lunches to 200 people every time. And I know a number of you have been serving at the Open Door Food Kitchen. Not long ago, many of you participated in a special offering where we as a congregation gave $5,000 to help the Open Door Food Kitchen with new equipment for their new building in which they're ready to get moved in pretty soon. Friends, these are acts of justice. Even if you gave a small amount in the offering, that small amount is your participation in justice, in the mission of God, of making right a world gone wrong. There's nearly 30 Word of Lifers who have signed up to run the Kansas City Marathon and Half Marathon. And again, running a marathon, not crazy, completely sane. Some of those runners are like, but I didn't know I'd be running in heat and humidity. It was 95 degrees. I'm sweating to death. But over 30 volunteers or nearly right around 30 uh, word of lifers are running the half and full Kansas City Marathon on behalf of Team World Vision, raising money for clean water around the world. There are still large sections and populations of people groups that do not have access to clean water. See, if you, if you got up this morning and you turned on a faucet or you flushed a toilet or you turned on a shower, you are a part of the global affluent. There are still people that don't have that daily access to clean water. So again, a bunch of you word of lifers are training to run a marathon or a half marathon. These are all acts of justice. Not just these things, but every small thing you do. Jesus says, when you do it to the least of these, you're doing it unto me. And these are acts of justice. And we have a new project, or it's time again to resume a project, that all of us can participate in. You may not realize it, but July is coming to an end. August is right around the corner, and that means back to school. And so, again, for the 12th year, Word of Life Church is participating in Project Backpack where we gather school supplies, we put it in a backpack, and we donate it. And again, we're partnering with Rubidoux Middle School and Lindbergh Elementary School. And what we do is when we, we, we provide these school supplies, we give it to school administration, and then they give it to kids in need. You may not know this, but in the St. Joseph School District, 71% of students participate in the free and reduced-priced lunch program because of their family's income situation. That's three-quarters. That's the majority. And so what happens in some of these schools is it's teachers 
the true unsung heroes, teachers, very often when they see students that are under-resourced, it's teachers that out of their own pockets will provide school supply for students. So we've heard back from those teachers that we're not only blessing the students, but we're blessing the teachers when we provide backpacks full of school supplies so that the teacher then can give it. And can you imagine the face of little Johnny or little Mary who had to go to school, first day of school, doesn't have school supplies, doesn't have a, even a backpack, and they get to school, and the teacher is able to say, here, little Johnny, here, little Mary, here's a brand new backpack with brand new school supplies in it. I mean, just a little side note, just the smell alone of new paper and school supplies, right? That's what, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and I know it's going to smell like either new cars or new books or new school supplies, right? There's something about that freshness and crispness. But imagine little Johnny showing up. All the other little kids running up to the door with their brand new backpacks, you know, they're running up to school. Well, Johnny doesn't have a backpack. Gets to school and a teacher is able to say, here. This is us participating in the mission of God when we participate in Project Backpack. So this is something that we can all get involved in. So what I want to encourage you to do is at the end of the service, we're almost there. We're not there yet. At the end of the service, after I dismiss you, I want you to go to the Project Backpack for your table. And you can get slips of paper that have different grades. It tells you exactly what school supplies the different grade levels need. And then you go get school supplies, get a backpack, fill it up, bring it back here by August 11th. Do you think we can do that? Is this something we can do? Yeah? Okay. Thank you. really awkward, <laughs> especially from the first sections, I understand. Let's try that again. I should have prepared you for that. Let's try that again. I'm going to ask the question and we're going to get really excited. We'll edit this out of the podcast. Take two. So when you provide a backpack for kids, kids, you're participating in the mission of God. Is that something we can do? I can do it. We're lifers. I knew it. So let's do that. And I want you to understand that, again, it's not just the big things. You're like, well, I, I, I can't run a marathon. I, I don't know if I can serve in, 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 in breakout youth ministry or we are the future on Saturday mornings. But you know what? You can get a backpack together. And doing it is a way that you, where all of us can participate in God's work. And I believe that God is indeed setting right a world gone wrong. But you know how God chooses to do that? God could have chosen to set the world right any way he wanted to. But God chose to do it by sending his son. Jesus came so that by his death on the cross, Jesus could take all of our sin and brokenness into himself taking our sin away into the grave, rising on the third day, offering new life. And all of you who were plunged through the waters of baptism have entered into this new life, this good life. And now this is how God is going to set right a world gone wrong. It's through me and you. 
as we are doing justice, as we are loving kindness, and as we continue to day by day and week by week walk humbly with God, it is in and through us that God is setting right a world gone wrong. And now we come to the most holy and sacred moment of our worship gathering when we come to the communion table. We come to the table of communion to receive the very life of God within us. Because see, here's the beauty of the Christian life. Lots of different religious traditions have religious leaders that tell you what to do and give you commands. What makes us unique is that not only does King Jesus tell us what to do, things like doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly, but Jesus also promises that there will be power, that there will be an enablement within us to obey and fulfill those commands. And in coming to the communion table, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. When we come to this table and someone offers you bread, they'll say, the body of Christ broken for you. We're acknowledging his woundedness because it's by his woundedness that we are made healed. So if you would stand up with me and let's prepare ourselves to come to the table of communion. We're going to be praying our prayer of confession of sin. And I want to encourage you that on this Sunday morning, July 21st, 2019, as you come to the communion table, I want you to come acknowledging whatever brokenness there is in you or in your family or in your community and bring that woundedness to Jesus. When we come to the bread and the cup, it's our way of coming to Jesus. So let's also make this a coming to Jesus moment. Those of you who are just checking out the Christian faith, those of you who are just checking us out and you're not so sure about this, let this be your moment to come and meet with Jesus. When we're praying this prayer, you pray this prayer from all of your heart. It's a prayer of confession where we confess our sin, our brokenness. We also confess our faith in God. Let this be a real coming to Jesus moment for you. But let's all come together bringing the brokenness in our lives, the brokenness of our world to the woundedness of Jesus. And let's experience the healing this morning that flows from his broken body and his shed blood. We'll put the words of this prayer up on the screen. And I encourage you to join all of the church this morning in praying this with all of your heart. Let's pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And now this is the table, not of the church.